0: Do we see you at Groundsworld this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Beuzeau, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. We all say very often we want to farm with respect for nature, but what does this actually mean? What does nature actually want and how do we build agriculture systems at scale where we can still harvest enough to sustain ourselves, a truly sustainable system? This episode looks at why trees are so important in these systems and how we should plant them in the most productive way. And we tackle the age-old myth of competition between trees among each other, but also between trees and other plants. More trees means more life, means more water, means more everything. Plus, what is needed to grow the syntropic agroforestry system. It has been proven at relatively limited scale and seems to be ready for prime time. So let's unpack what is needed to bring it to the next stratification level. Sorry, pun intended. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture. Investing as if the planet mattered podcast show where i talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil people local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return why my focus on soil and regeneration because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land grow our food and what we eat And it's time that we as investors, big and small, and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. In March last year, we launched our membership community to make it easy for fans to support our work. And so many of you have joined as a member. We've launched different types of benefits, exclusive content, Q&A webinars with former guests, Ask Me Anything sessions, plus so much more to come in the future. For more information on the different tiers, benefits and how to become a member, check gumroad.com slash egg or find the link below. Thank you. So welcome to another episode of the podcast today with the co-founder of Life and Syntropy, Felipe Passini. Welcome, Filippo. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And to start with a personal question that I, of course, always like to ask, and we always start with, how did you end up in soil? And how did you end up? building these very, very complex agroforestry systems?
1: Well, I mean, one question. The first one is, I guess, there is nothing more important to do. We still haven't figured it out since we began farming on this planet. We still haven't got it. We still haven't figured it out to have a dominant way of treating our soils and feeding uh, whole civilizations with agriculture in a really sustainable way, not in a, how the concept is being used now, but really in a way that can sustain civilizations forever. And most of would be even nicer to creating resources as it goes. And I ended up doing this also because I was fortunate enough to come across a Swiss guy that came to Brazil more than 40 years ago named Ernest Goetsch, and uh, he I was already very involved into permaculture, organic farming, this kind of things. But
0: How did you get into that? Like, did you grow up on a farm? How did you end it yes, up? Yes,
1: I mean, my family owns a farm. And my since my grandfather, uh, always my favorite place, up to now is my favorite place. But not the activity itself. I mean, we had cows and some farming things and some cultures, but more like a cash crops that come and go. And uh, I never felt like a calling. I mean, I enjoyed being there, but not driven by the activity itself. So you left? Coming and going. I mean, all my life was spending some time, I mean, leaving some periods on the farm and then leaving. It's been like this for a long time. But after meeting Ernest, it changed a lot because it, I mean, it really gave a purpose, a very strong purpose because he worked with this kind of agroforestry, but it's it's not a simple agroforestry, it's a very complex agroforestry that includes succession, stratification, and very nice philosophical concepts behind it as well. So with that, I just felt, okay, this is, I'm also a journalist. I mean, my, my graduation is communication. So when I met him, I said, oh my God, I mean, everybody should know this because I was so impressed. It was so new, although it made a lot of sense. And uh, I mean, it was not new, but it was not so widespread and it should be.
0: Do you remember, because this is, I'm guessing like 16, 20 years ago, this, we didn't use the internet as much as now yet. Like these stories weren't so much out there. How did you stumble upon this as it wasn't that you're, I mean, you were studying, being very interested in permaculture, but then it's still quite a big leap to syntropic agroforestry centropic agriculture. Like, do you remember the first time you stumbled upon it? And then, did you act and travel to a farm? Like, what was the? What yeah,
1: no, I, I do remember. Also, very yeah, lucky. I had been for a while in a place in Brazil that is very nice. It was run by an architect that is called uh, I don't know the translation for English. It's like naked architects. This guy that's called Johan van Lengen that runs. I um, mean, he's Dutch, actually. Sounds very Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And he ran a place in Brazil, very nice, where he did all these experiments with architecture and always using raw materials. I mean, very related to permaculture, but I mean, really focused on architecture.
0: And you were there for... As as a
1: journalist. I mean, I was there uh, shooting a small documentary with a group who I worked with in that time. And and so we became friends. I mean, the son of Johan, very nice guy, also an architect. So we became friends. And the place is like an oasis, a very nice place. They host different horses workshops as well. And, I mean, a few months after I was there, they had this workshop with Ernest Getsu. The first time he would be there. And uh, one of the first time he would teach a workshop in my region. It's just two hours away from, from our farm. So, yeah, so I went there and I, I mean, it blew my mind. I mean, everything that he suggested to plant... And people, students suggesting to plant, he said, okay, but we can't plant just that because this place wants to be a forest. So we can't prevent ourselves from working like a forest. Otherwise, it wouldn't be like respecting what this place wants to be. It doesn't matter if we want just to grow cash crops or vegetables or organically. It doesn't matter if we just want to do it organically. If we don't add the trees and succession will be preventing this place to look like it wants to be, it doesn't mean that agriculture shouldn't be included, quite the opposite. It's there. I mean, there are crops that we can include in
0: every stage of succession, but... There are pieces we can harvest, and that sort of seems the underlying big question, what does a place want to be?
1: Yes. And what does nature
0: want? I mean, I've heard you say that multiple times, not necessarily in this interview, we'll hear it a few more times, but what does nature... Wonder what does a place want to be. How do we how do we know what a place wants to be?
1: Yeah, that is something that is always it's really underlining is the background of everything that we we normally talk about because we hear a lot in sustainable farming and in re greening initiatives. Oh, we need to respect nature, we need to but we don't have a clue what nature wants to be. We have a very vague idea what it wants to be. And uh, in order to answer this question, we go to science, we go to, I mean, thanks God, I mean, our archaeologists, uh, they are finding so many cool stuff for the past decades. So after the planet warmed up since the last glaciation, I mean, 12,000 years ago, when it started to warm up, leaving the last ice age, the planet became a forest. So we had this window between 10,000 years when like it was warming up until eight 8,000, 6,500, uh, until our the pasture economy and agriculture started to dominate and to change ecosystems in a very drastic way. So, I mean, our window is like this 4,000 years when the planet really expressed itself before we started to intervene too much.
0: So you're saying most of the planet or all of the planet wants to be wants to go not back but wants to sort of go forward to become a forest again but when you say forest what should we imagine as a forest because yes, i think we question. also have a, a very distorted image as a forest maybe yeah. some national parks we know we we quote unquote and then quotes here i think that is a forest when you say the planet wants to be or was a forest what do you is it a very dense is it very yes, good question what should we imagine yes. as a forest
1: Of course, when I say forest is a generalization, because there are so many physiognomies and ways that vegetation behaves, but I say places with lots of trees. denser, less dense, uh, but uh, trees were really part of of everywhere. And uh, Ernest used to say some stuff that we suspect a little. when, Because, for example, in Brazil, when he said to this place, I was mentioning when I first met him, okay, this place wants to be a forest, so... We have to work with trees. We can't prevent ourselves from working with trees. I mean, it's quite obvious. We are in a Atlantic rainforest. So, I mean, you look around where we don't touch. I mean, if you don't touch in two years, a forest will come eventually. So it was very obvious. It's not such a stretch. That,
0: yeah. Yes. The place where we're now, it's a bit different.
1: Yes. That is interesting because Brazil has a young colonization story. So with this dominant model of agriculture, just been there for some hundreds of years, whereas here in Europe, for us, it's been a very interesting experience because even places like this, some people don't believe it was a closed forest. But when we look back, I mean, in studies to rebuild, reconstructing, using like fossils of pollen, yes, it was a forest.
0: Just, just as a, a background, we're, we're in southern Italy at the moment, in Puglia, where... There aren't a lot of forests left, especially not the oak forests yes. that presumably were here or the mixed forests. It's a lot of olive trees. There are a lot of issues around it. We'll get into that. But you're saying that because it's been such a long time, probably before the Romans and even before that, we can see it. We can do architecture research or archaeology research to see what was here before. But because it's such a long time ago, it's difficult for people to imagine what the landscape could yes. look like or what used to look like and maybe once to look like.
1: Perfect. Yes. It's very hard. It's very hard to, especially places that are very proud of their traditions. I mean, it's not in the memory anymore. For example, here it's been, I mean, 8,000 years when pastures, livestock started to come to this zone. The Iberian Peninsula was 7,500 years ago. And in that time, the whole Sahara, the, the north of Africa was a very busy place I and mean, lots of people living there an economy that was based on livestock. And cool, very nice recent studies show that we tend to believe that, the, for example, the Sahara was just like a cosmological event, the procession that turned that place into a desert. But now there are new studies that, oh, maybe like man-made activities play the role because they are starting to question that This cosmological event alone wouldn't change this vast area, very diverse area. And also, some pollen findings show that as well that it was a place that before was a lot of trees, I mean, pollens of trees, really a forest, Mediterranean forest, oaks, and names in English I wouldn't know, but it comes after. And then it started to have more species that men or cattle managed and later i mean they found the first lentils for example in morocco the first cultivated lentils there 8000 years ago so we started to change the environment mm-hmm. quite a bit and when we we keep researching that i mean you go to the here's the same i mean middle east the most studied place absolutely i mean i recommend reading the book of david montgomery soil the erosion of civilization he tells many wonderful stories about these places and from the soil's perspective, erosion and the role that this first agricultural civilizations played. And uh, yeah, yeah, so it's been everywhere. It's been like this.
0: Yeah, we yeah. had him on the podcast. There's a new book coming out. He's been saying it for years, but with his wife on the nutrient density of food and the connection oh, cool. to soil. They've been researching it for a long time, but now it seems to be really coming. So we're going to have him back soon, I hope. David, if you're listening, oh, nice. come no, back. We, we, because
1: are, we are big fans. I mean, uh, the hidden half of soil is fantastic,
0: and we've been joined to see his trajectory. It's fascinating. Very cool. Yeah. No, so we have established... I mean, but it's interesting because the whole movement of let's make the Sahara green again, probably that word again, is very, very important here, in the sense that many, many places had way more trees. And way more life in general. I mean, if you connect the two, probably the two are are very deeply connected. And yet you're saying it needs, or it's, there is a role for agriculture. There is a role for harvesting things and for eating from it. It's not just, let's put a big fence around it and it grows back in two years. Maybe some places it does, like in Brazil, but many places it doesn't, like it becomes less of what it could be much more. So what's our role as humans in managing a system that's very degraded let's put the baseline there most places are severely degraded I mean, way more than we expect and maybe we cannot even imagine what it could be and then what is our role as humans as the keystone species in many yeah. cases to bring back that abundance or kickstart it or how do we then interact with that or how do we yeah make...
1: that's a, a tough
0: uh, question where do we start let's say what's the first step I mean we, we after we did the archaeology we... research okay we, we have an idea of what could grow here even though all the people around us will say, you're crazy, that could never grow here. And we know it did, so why doesn't it now? Okay, so we know a species map of options, like a menu. And then where do we start?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, we strongly believe that forests bring moisture to the continents. I mean, this is something that, for example, science has been proving this with the biotic pump theory. You know, the flying rivers, and I mean, it's a pump. I and mean, the forest, the photosynthesis is a pump. So let's let's really
0: specify that. Trees bring water, not the other way around. Do you want to learn how to invest? Or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below.
1: We do believe in that, and it's something that Ernest always says is good to say that we tend to believe that where there is water, there is life. But he normally says it's the opposite. Where there is life, there is water. So life attracts water because photosynthesis is endothermal, so it cools down the place and changes the density of water vapor. So when we see a forest like the Amazon, of course, we're talking about the tropics,
0: but, but even in Spain, I think it's Milan Milan, one of the people that Judith interviewed, like why is a big chunk of Spain desertifying because a lot of vegetation has been removed and the, the normal summer rains that were there every day at four or five, I don't remember the exact hour, are no longer there. So the water doesn't come anymore. Go somewhere else. The Mediterranean doesn't feed these ecosystems mm-hmm. anymore, but could do it again.
1: Yeah. For example, there's also nice studies in why Europe is in general or Germany is starting to dry out to have less rain is because the forests of Siberia are being taken down. So it's kind of disrupting the flow. And we have examples like older examples for that in the Tibet, how say in English, Tibetan Plateau. Mm-hmm. It's the same, I mean, always very nice studies that they found. I mean, it was a forest before, I mean, almost a forest. And like 4,000 years ago, uh, I don't remember maybe uh, that, or uh, like the, the first pastures started to come. And so it became a cobrazia uh, place. Now it's understood as a native that needs to be preserved because it's being, the cobrazia is being replaced by annual and, and by annual plant, like weeds. But... It's already some studies showing that when that first forest was taken down, it's already changed the climate in that region. So, I mean,
0: it's... No, it, there are mean, studies or at least suggestions now also of taking down big pieces of the Amazon, how it's influencing not only the whole, I mean, the whole South American continent, obviously, because most of the agriculture in Argentina, Brazil, and the South couldn't exist without, mm-hmm. uh, without the trees pumping up the water. There's, that's their irrigation system, literally. But also on the other side of the Atlantic, in Africa, etc., it influences and up uh, in, in the Northwest. I mean, the, the droughts we're seeing or the heavy rain events or the extremes probably are connected to loss of vegetation and thus loss of trees in other places. But but it could be 10,000 kilometers away. That's the the scary and interesting part. It
1: makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, all the forests are very much connected with the circulation of air, moisture, and everything else. And we know that. I mean, there's so much information about this.
0: But if it's so big, then if we bring it down to one place, you're saying, yes, with bringing back trees in one relatively small place, even a few hectares or hectare, you can influence the moisture enough to kickstart it, or do you need to have it at a country scale or a region scale to really pump that?
1: Yes, I think uh, both, <laughs> and that's why. I mean, going back to your first question, we have to start building an economy that understands that trees are part of this planet; it's part of it. Ernest, uh, and um, not just I'm, as timber. I'm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to quote Ernest again. He, he defends a hypothesis that our modern version of human, I mean, the, our Homo sapiens sapiens, we came up, we emerged in the middle of the last ice age. So we kind of got used to like to this dry savannas, to dry steppe, like a more savannic environment. So we were more used to open spaces. And after the last glaciation, I mean, after the weather warmed up again, so the planet became a forest like a, humans couldn't adapt well to this environment. And some humans did, of course. I mean, they have so many wonderful examples all over the world of indigenous people that live just fine with the forest. But somehow what ended up becoming the dominant civilizations, we didn't adjust well to this place. So since then, we've we've declared the war on forests because every place a civilization arrived or took place I mean, the forests were taken down, replaced by annuals, biannuals. I mean, first, like a farming that slash and burn and then like open an open farming with plows and and tilling every year. Just animals, not against animals, please. But it's been like this. I mean, and and, and what we do today is the same. It's just like an update of the same thinking. And so this, in this sense, Mm -hmm. sorry, been going, building a a huge arch here, but in this sense, what we try to do is to combine farming with greening initiatives, for example, Uh, regeneration in a sense that regeneration, what a place would like to be, for example, forest, we need trees. We need, I mean, the planets got used, I mean, it was supposed to have stratified vegetations. I mean, it's fine to have perennials. Perennials is much less, worse than having like the whole planet almost grown with annuals and biennials and grains or vegetables. Having perennials is good, but it's still, I mean, if we have layers of vegetation, we have more photosynthesis, we have more carbon sequestered, we have more wood, we have more decomposition of woods in the soil, which makes the best soil we can imagine, would make humus, with like a decomposition from fungi is the best thing so in this sense what we try to bring to the discussion the big discussion of regenerative practices is that we should try to include trees in almost all our designs and it is not easy to do that because managing trees is not as easy as managing grasses is not easy as managing yeah. grains etc because we it takes time if we do a pruning i mean if to arrange it, and so that's been our—I mean, our group—and I say because we we are a big, huge group doing this kind of farming, and yeah, that's what we're trying to
0: face. No, I was laughing before because just yesterday evening, and I'll put the article in the show notes as well. I was reading an article. I think it's called "Thinking as Trees," something like that, and it was talking about our our war against forests. Like we always pictured it, especially in European. Like folklore, et etc., as the enchanted place, the scary place, you go in there, you get lost, et cetera., yeah, et etc., et etc. and probably it's been in like in our system for a long time, and now we're going to unpack the farming part as well. but do you think that are we going sort of against our nature, apart from the indigenous tribes that are doing wonderfully in forest? like all of us apparently are I wouldn't say scared, but maybe threatened a bit by the forest, so we have been for the last eight plus thousand years. Cutting it, like, is it going against our nature to plant a lot of trees? Do you see that as resistance? Or is it something we have to overcome as a species and say we are forest people, or at least edge of a forest people <laughs> in general? Like, we're made yes. for that. That's our. But if we've been going against it for so long, is that going to be tricky as we're planting way more trees over the next decade?
1: Yeah, it's...
0: Good question. Do we want uh, to be that? Like, if we ask the question, what does nature want here? What do we want? Do we want a place with many trees? I think we're happier there, but. I
1: mean, the question is, do we want to continue here as a species and continue to evolve? Because we need a place to live and we are very demanding species. We are medium to large animal species. We need lots of phosphorus. We need lots of water. We need like a diverse, nutritious food sources and we can eat and we can manage. Lots of tree species.
0: We can or we can't? We can.
1: We can. The way we eat is absolutely cultural. One thing that is interesting to see, like, uh, for example, there is some studies that I wouldn't know how to quote it, but talking about the diet of the Natufians, which were like the first pre-farmers, I mean, before the farming, but when the weather warmed up and all the this native grains started to appear in a place in the Middle East, in the Levant, where it is Iran today, I mean they said those guys they had the best diet possible, not because of the grains, but because they it was Despite it was diverse. That. I mean they ate lots of fruits, there was some game and some grains as well. So it was a, a very nice moment mm-hmm. in this sense. But there are also other studies that showing that the way we based our diet now only based on annuals, on grains. It's it's not being healthy for us either. There are some studies showing that we are kind of degrading. We are becoming weaker. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for our medication, the way we we do it, we would... And the chemicals, yeah. yeah, And the chemicals, we would be sicker. There are studies showing that 12,000 years fossils of mankind, they were healthier than us. I mean, if we put them together, they had healthier bones, healthier teeth, and less genetic problems. So I'm not saying that it's... I mean, it's just one of the theories. They say that the diets that came with farming might have played a role in that as well. And so I think we are now smart enough.
0: We uh, need diversity. We need to grow diversity.
1: Yeah, and and to understand, I mean, there shouldn't be anything more important to do on this planet than trying to figure out how things work. I mean, how things around us work, how nature works in order to maintain for us to evolve and the other species to evolve, because that's what life does, just keeps evolving. But apparently, we are the only one species that is doing the opposite thing. And we are not doing that. We are doing the opposite. We are really destroying everything that provides what we need to survive. So going back, we need water. We need phosphorus. We need complex life. We depend on complex life processes. We need trees. I mean, we need complex ecosystems as well. We need the composition of wood to feed ourselves. We can't be mining phosphorus from a place to add to our crops.
0: Same with nitrogen.
1: Same with nitrogen. And it needs to be done by the microorganisms in that place. And what do they need? They need a soil that is covered, that is live, that is with lots of photosynthesis, with humus, with a good capacity to retain water, with some kind of insulation protected with photosynthesis, with layers of vegetation. So, And then we have The conditions to pump water that we need to have as an outcome, to have phosphorus and to have nitrogen and everything that our food needs
0: to grow. So let's go back to where to start. So we've done the research. We need more trees. That's the conclusion of of, of any site visit, basically, or almost any site visit. Let's say we're here in southern Italy. It's mostly an olive tree-based system at the moment, which is under a lot of stress from disease, from failing crops, from trees that are dying, etc., And you're starting to work here or in Europe as well. I mean, we can talk about Portugal and Spain where you are working as well. What is then the first step? You bring in random trees? No, you bring in quite a sophisticated plan of bringing a lot more life to the place, basically. And on the different layers, etc. Let's unpack where you start and then how that evolves over the next couple of years, basically.
1: Yeah. I mean, first of all, as we said, we understand what the place wants to be. It's a forest here. It is supposed to be a semi deciduous forest. It had oaks in the past. I mean, in Portugal, Dave, I'm talking about now, talk about Portugal, where we began. I mean, we worked in, in Mertola for two years in a place with the highest risk of desertification and just a few trees were able to survive there.
0: And- uh, Hanging on there basically. Yes, <laughs> hanging on hanging the last. hanging on there
1: and, and already dying. I mean, the Quercus elix uh, were already in like, a, being attacked by some diseases. I mean, similar to what's going on here with the olives. And one thing that is nice to understand, is an approach of syntropic agroforestry that there is no prejudice against exotic, against alien species. I mean, uh, it is just, we see uh, the planet as a pool of, of genetics that we can use. I mean, there are plants adapted to every place. And if we believe that all the plants, all the living beings, they do something good for the place. They do not compete. This is That's fundamental. very fundamental. I mean, they do good. So they don't compete for water. And sun. They do quite the opposite. No, they don't compete for water. I mean, if they are alone, they just try to survive and they struggle, which is I mean, a natural place wouldn't look like this. But if we have a stratified vegetation... So
0: stratified vegetation, you're showing with your hand, but nobody can see that, obviously, yeah. is layers. Layers yeah, is layers fundamental vegetation. because you have to capture as much sunlight as possible, you want to change the microclimate between the layers. So you have to think in layers of time, because of course you think over years Mm -hmm. and decades, and you have to think in layers of space, like literally up and down.
1: Yes, okay. Mm -hmm. One good explanation that might make sense now is, and this is proposed by Ernest, which is kind of a guideline, one of the pillars. I mean, one is succession and the other one is strategic. Succession
0: means overtime,
1: succession. Yes, over just time. Succession, just like with yes. people, like
0: what comes after and already thinking now. Yes. You, and that not anything, everything you plant at the moment is going to be in that system forever. No, mm-hmm. it has a role and the role might end. And yes. It's being pruned and then it turns into wood as yeah, a- a- fertilizer.
1: Yes, every consortium of plants is being has been raised by some consortia that came before and a consortium is a group of like group current of
0: plants. A group of current plants that yes. lives together.
1: Yeah. And will nurture and protect some other group of plants that will come later. And normally like a faster growing ones, they protect the slower growing ones and those slower growing ones protect the very slow growing ones. So if we synchronize these plants, I mean we don't have lack of photosynthesis, we don't have uncovered soil in any moment. So I mean we just keep the pump working off exudates, photosynthesis, you know, like soil cover, it's protected. So the, the soil microorganisms don't suffer any loss in this feeding system.
0: Taking as much sunlight as they possibly yes. can and pumping it everywhere.
1: And so coming back to the stratification, the way we always organize the systems are having denser vegetation in the lower strata, in the lower layers, and it's sparser as we move upwards, like a triangle. So, I mean, if you were to overlap solar panels, it would be the best way to get also some filtered light. But taking into account that photosynthesis is an endothermal reaction, so what it cools it down. It cools yeah. down the place. It doesn't release heat, but quite the opposite. I mean, it takes heat.
0: That's and why when you walk in under a tree or in any forest, you immediately feel first of all better in summer mostly, yes. and it's, it just feels. It's an much, air conditioning. It's an air conditioning unit. Yes.
1: Yeah. And so if we organize our plantations like this as well, I mean, having more plants, more layers underneath, I mean, not more layers, more density, more occupation underneath and less as we go upwards. And very quickly, as Ernest suggests, we have like a 15 to 20 percent of emergent plants, those that are really, they take full sunlight all the time. And then we have like a like, a...
0: like a... That's a high tree. Yeah, like a high a, tree, yes. That take could time like to grow a, as well. Like they, no, It depends. And could, could could then we have succession, yeah. for example.
1: We have okay, faster, 15% emergent is the... trees. For example, corn is an emergent plant from the placenta. I mean, it's more... There are some classifications of the consortium that uh, we also divide into these groups of consortium that is also proposed by Ernest. So having this configuration, we have... Each layer is cooler than the one above. So this creates a lack of thermodynamic effect that traps moisture close to the ground. It's really one organism only. We can't just separate that. But when people say, oh, but trees, they take moisture away. It's because we plant them in monoculture when we see, for example, a monoculture of eucalyptus, but could be any other plants, monoculture Mm -hmm. of pinus that we see here in Italy. Or olives. Yeah, olives, whatever. I mean, we don't have a lot of density of photosynthesis happening underneath. So we have the cooling effect of the crown of these plants. So it's slightly cooler right below Mm -hmm. the crown. And then it starts to warm up again because of sun and because of dry winds that take moisture away. So it doesn't work. I mean, the effect doesn't work. This is the physiognomy Of a forest that is about to suffer a clearing, a disturbance, Mm -hmm. to renew the information.
0: So there could be a fire coming or something or cut or... Yes. But if it's it's one layer only, you lose all the moisture and you lose and it's going to become...
1: And what is unfair, the trees, they get the blame. And it is the most fatal interpretation mistake that we make. Because it doesn't make any sense.
0: So then under that top layer that is more sparse, it's less, there's another layer that's denser.
1: That is denser, like, uh, yes. And it's 40% we put canopy plants. And then we put 60% of median layer plants and then 80% of lower. And
0: 80, when you say 80, it means that space is 80% full. Yes, yes. That's so it's that horizontal. Listeners space. that are counting, that's more than 100% we're counting at the moment, which yes, is one of the fundamental... Precisely. it goes yeah. And consider that it's still like 15%
1: in the ground layer, so it's more than 220%.
0: And the ground layer gets diffused light, yes, not a lot, but light. gets enough... And of course you plant specifically, because this is very systematic, you plant what can handle of course. diffuse lights and what can handle much more moist environment because under, under, under it's moist compared yes. to up, up.
1: Uh, it is uh, absolutely, I mean, all the plants we know most of it they they evolved in a stratified motor story environment. So
0: vines, tomatoes, uh, yes. corn, yes. nothing like very few species like to be full sun. Yes, ever.
1: precisely that. So let's see for example, we have this idea that oh some trees they enjoy, I mean they need full sunlight. We question that. They need lights depending on when, which time of the year. For example, olives, they say, oh olives need full sunlight. Mm. They come from a semi deciduous forest.
0: So, and they weren't the top one.
1: Yeah, they no, weren't. no, it's, uh, the, the, they are canopy trees. So, so, they, so need... they, they wouldn't mind having 15% of some taller trees. And being from a semi deciduous forest, they would have some protection in the summer. And in the winter, the trees, I mean, when it, it's good to have more light, so the, the trees would lose their leaves anyway. It is the same with citrus where they come from, the same with uh, with coffee where they come from.
0: So, I read, I'm going to put it in a link, the best coffee in the world was voted comes from a syntropic agroforestry system, I think last yes. year or two years ago. Yeah, I yes, mean, Quality it's, expresses it's the itself in complexity as well.
1: Yes, yeah. and I mean, we have so many examples yeah. that it influences the quality of, of the product because when you put a tree in its just right position, where it wants to be, it gets no stress. One example that I like to give is also a design that Ernest uh, made in Brazil. It's, I mean, it combines banana, grass, citrus, and eucalyptus. I mean, banana... Plus and, other and things, and, for sure.
0: But yeah, yeah these yeah. are the right. cash crops. Yeah, like but this was
1: the, the cash crop yeah. because it was a large scale operation. And uh, banana and eucalyptus are just famous for drying out soil. I mean, people, they say, oh, we can have it. It's going to be, become a desert. And yes, if you leave them alone, they will have this stress. I mean, it's just like a, one organ alone. I mean, they, it's missing something. Parts of the organisms are missing, but in this area, and this area was precisely in 2014. It was a very dry year in Brazil, in Sao Paulo especially. And this place, I mean, the bananas had their leaves open, you know, when it was stratified. It was eucalyptus and, uh, and, eucalyptus and the, bananas, taking the big citrus, yes. Chunk of, uh... I mean, when they are combined, like the dynamics are completely different because of, the, of layering photosynthesis. So this is something that we have to shout out loud because people still have this competition paradigm that we need to break this down because it's not true. I mean, yes, there is, but it's not the main thing, the competition. It's not. It's possible to combine plants and they prefer to be combined.
0: But also the competition in trees, I'm blanking on the name of the researcher, she's called Suzanne, something that blew up that competition... First of all, she blew up the whole notion of trees actually communicating with each other and forming the basis of all the social network discussion on trees, etc. When she published that paper of the trees, con- like they communicate and feed their offspring and communicate and exchange... Uh, feed, cetera, she was, I think, put in the corner for 20 years and ignored and called crazy. Of course, now we know that it's true and probably much more than that. And that whole competition idea... Even in there is a very... Very thin one, let's say. It it, it takes time. It takes time. We see
1: Lynn Margulis, for example, also, she was in the evolution because we still have this very dogmatic neo-Darwinism paradigm that believes that competition drives evolution. And Lynn Margulis brought so many evidence that it's not like this. And she was also, I mean, she suffered a lot in, in the academic environments because of that. And the more we study, the more we see the competition doesn't make sense. But we see this as if we are seeing ourselves in a mirror. We understand the world because we believe that we are competitive people. So we see competition in everywhere else. So it is a kind of
0: reflection uh, uh, of us. Yes.
1: It's a reflection of us, which feels some purpose in our. In the way we organized ourselves in society, I mean, being competitive people. So that's why we also believe that working in this way with nature also will change ourselves a little bit. So will change the way we see I the don't think a little bit.
0: Like, I think it will change. For me, it's why starting with agriculture, soil, and, and oceans as well. It's because it's an entry point to asking a lot about other. I mean, we have to start. We have to regenerate most of the planet... But it will force us to ask a lot of other very hard questions about everything else. Existential questions. Why are we here? What is our role? But also very basic ones. What's the role of the economy? What's the role of money? What's the role of education? What's the role of cities? What's the role of infrastructure? What's the role of building, living? I mean, all of those sort of naturally follow how we manage land. And I would love to ask all of those now. But let's start with the agriculture one because it seems the most pressing one, and we, we're literally running out of soil, so it's...
1: Yeah, sorry, I left one question unanswered. I mean, how do we start? And then I was saying about the alien species that we use in Portugal and other places, because, for example, if you try to plant in a degraded soil the way it is now, with a climate that changed a little, that's getting not as quiet as it was before, you try to plant a climax species, which are like the last consortia, that's a very slow-growing plant, directly on the soil, I mean, it will suffer or it will require lots of water, lots of treatment. So as we work with succession, for example, we don't mind using an eucalyptus plant, which is an emergent from short-lived secondary to kickstart. I mean, it will, where it comes from, it's used to, like is a driller, it goes through it. directly downwards. So it prepares the root for the other trees to come we had this experience, for example, on our farm in Brazil, because in Brazil also eucalyptus, and we use eucalyptus because it is a symbol of of hated tree. And uh, we try to bring justice to it a little bit.
0: Every tree and plant has a role.
1: Has a role. And, and it's, I mean,
0: if we use it right, it's just sacred. And just when you say right, and then we go back to it, like in Portugal, just as an example, because I know you've been using that, like the resistance is so much in many of these places because they have been slowly degrading or fastly degrading For many, many, many years. But then I remember, and and please explain a bit on that, that you said like when people started looking, taking us more serious in Portugal is when in the height of summer, the first summer, our plants, our vegetables and our trees, etc. didn't need irrigation. Like was that because you planned properly and because you covered and because you brought a lot of life to the place and just to like, this is a place where everything else is irrigated because otherwise nothing grows. Like There are no vegetables anymore because they need irrigation and it's just too expensive or unpractical. Like to get to that point of in one year, so many people say, I go first year, it takes forever, et etc. et cetera. Like even in one year, you can already have quite a magical almost result, a miracle result. How did you get there? And what then was the response locally? Because I think many people that are listening are also working in places where they're doing things that most of their neighbors would consider crazy. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that?
1: Yeah. Okay. The first thing is to have a soil covered. We did our best to prepare the place to have a soil covered during the summer. And also to have as many plants as possible that are resistant to dry, to the dry. It doesn't matter which one. I mean, if we believe in photosynthesis, if we believe that photosynthesis is an endothermal reaction that brings exudates to the soil. And I mean,
0: if it grows, it grows. Yeah.
1: If it grows, it grows. And so we try to always to crowd our beds with as many as possible with those plants, of course, respecting this criteria that I mentioned, succession. And which gives you a huge menu
0: of options.
1: Yes. As the place gets more degraded, your options are getting shorter. Mm-hmm. And it gets shorter with the prejudice. When you have those like red list plants that you can't use because they are invasive. They're... Jesus Christ. I mean, you know what?
0: A desert is the other option. Yeah, but I mean also in this whole like exotic ones. I'm reading a book or listening to a book actually of, of bringing back the beavers in the uk and and let's say the amount of hoops they had to jump through either legally or illegally they're beavers now in the uk they were brought back by some people and not always let's say following all the 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 ancient rules against beavers because also in beavers we think they compete that they are eating fish which is completely untrue they're vegetarian they create landscapes they're probably one of the Mm -hmm. the keystone species of creating wetlands etc but the amount of hate we have against that but then you need a few people that sometimes, I wouldn't say cut a corner, but make it possible that otherwise it would have taken 200 years to do that. So you might mm-hmm. plant some things that you know are perfectly fine, but you can get into a lot of trouble for planting certain things that people think yes. are dangerous, fire, yeah, exotic. it's so
1: crazy. I mean, it, I, I, well, I believe in, and Diana made a very nice uh, Your literature. Partner, yeah, yeah <laughs> my partner did a very nice literature review on that. It's I mean, I hope in the future we'll look back to the discussion and say, oh, how silly we were.
0: In this To not in, use a plant that grows yes. perfectly here and that can has yes. so much to bring.
1: I mean, because the other option is to have nothing. And, and that is crazy. And also, if we go deep into that discussion, what is native to a place? I mean, talk about Italy. I mean, here in the Mediterranean. Let's talk about the Mediterranean diet. Tomatoes are not from here. I mean... Some olives are from here, but not the ones we use. And uh, grapes are not from here. All the peppers are not from here. The citrus are not from here. The grains are not from here. The figs are not from here. They're from the Jordan Valley. The, uh, I mean, almost nothing is from here. And if you go really into that discussion, we are not from here. Let's go back to Africa, where we belong. So
0: it's a it's nonsense, a silly, it's a a silly nonsense discussion. discussion. And then when you look at your planting here, you're working on systems... Like how, I think, let's tackle two pieces that people will bring up to it. Like, okay, it's all nice and cute on small scale. Can it scale, first of all? Let's unpack that one because you have proven that it can absolutely scale. Not necessarily easy. It mm-hmm. does bring complexity and other things on harvesting, et cetera, which are, seem to be all fixable. So can it scale? And does it produce a lot of food? Because we have to feed the world and it has to replace this mm-hmm. system that apparently is producing a lot of food, which is not really true. But like in terms of, What do you say when people, let's say we were on a stage somewhere and we did this conversation live, which hopefully at some point we can, and in the audience, yeah, but what about feeding the world? What is your normal response? We we always get this. Of course. (laughs) And what's your best (laughs) best answer? We still don't have a best answer
1: for that. And for sure, not a short one. Because our group, especially Ernest, is, I mean, he became kind of, for the past almost 10 years, obsessed with large scale. And it all comes to mechanization. Of course, I mean it's. But uh, let's get it. YouTube.
0: It's absolutely possible to do this no, beyond 80s. the permaculture one mm. hectare and menu everything. Menu. You lose of produce, but there are examples in Brazil and actually yes. Portugal as well that are massive. To any extent, they are big.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, in Portugal I wouldn't say massive, but the the designs are for
0: large scale. And in Brazil, which means you combine the tree lanes yes, with I annuals mean, I mean,
1: with. Yes, I mean it's it's made for mechanization. It's not. I mean you you. I mean, you organize the system in a way to mechanize. Ernest began doing this, for example, in Fazenda da Toca in Brazil. And to be honest, I think uh, up to now, I mean, the designs are brilliant. Because it's so really be missing? possible. The machines? We're missing the machines. We're missing the wheel. We're missing people understanding, like, the role of it. I mean, there are so many. It's
0: an immersion. Emergent...
1: Yes. It, it's very complex in a way. And because it's between three lines... And you have a perennial plant, for example, we use grasses for very degraded place, like a a perennial grass, a good one, like a Panicum Massimo. And so in between, you have some strips that you cut and you add your annuals or biennials. You can have cotton, you can have soy, you can have... uh, So just for
0: visualization, we have tree lines, which are super complex with the different layers that we Mm -hmm. discuss, like fully grown, like, I wouldn't say a wall of trees, but a lot of different species, not the normal or the agroforestry type we sometimes see in France, where there's grain and then one layer yeah, of tree, no, which is all very high, and mm-hmm. it's also agroforestry, but it's different. Then in the middle, you have, in very degraded places, as you mentioned, a perennial grass that is always there because it's perennial, which you cut and mulch and put on the layers, and in, potentially, and then you plant your annuals in that grass. So you don't, it's not that you remove the grass, plow it, obviously, no, etc. You no. plant it in the grass, could be soy, could be cotton, could yes. be corn, and it grows above it. And you harvest it, obviously, Yeah, this year, it. I guess,
1: no, last year, Ernest did another experiment, because you saw those those one that uh, Ernest and Fernando did at Cepéas. I'll put a in, video on it, it's, central, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. But also, Ernest did other experiments, especially with cotton, because cotton is very hard. It's the crop that takes most chemical
0: In the world, yeah.
1: Yes, and uh, I mean, you, you, you must see it. It's just, it's beautiful. I mean, not a problem between the tree lines.
0: Growing cotton without any inputs? Without any inputs. Without any irrigation?
1: Without irrigation. Without any
0: herbicides, pesticides? Yeah,
1: between tree lines. Between so tree you're growing lines. your tree it lines,
0: which are going to be... Yes. Very interesting in the future and already now because they are growing all kinds of fruits, etc. And you're growing a very expensive cash crop in the middle, which is cotton in grass, so it's always covered.
1: So I think one of... I try to comfort myself and, I mean, at least the role we all play, especially Ernest. I mean, he's been investing everything he gets for the past year just to... I mean, he's putting money to build the machines himself and try to, to do that because... I think there is some answer that came up already. It works. It works.
0: It works productively. The system like that, the syntropic system 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 works. works. Yes, it works. On one hectare, on a thousand, on two thousand.
1: It it would work in larger scale if we had the machines. And it's not, I mean, Ernest already designed a set of machines that would be required. What do they do,
0: these machines? Is it... I mean, I know there's one for planting, which Benedict uses. Yeah, there's
1: planting. I mean, there is one machine to repair the soil. Yes, machines to prune and shred the material like immediately, and a machine to cut the grass in the line where you plant the grain, and then already behind it, covering it.
0: So you cut the grass. You cut. You cut a line in. You plant the grain. You cut the grass as well and mulch it immediately on top. Yes, immediately on top. So the grain has the perfect environment too. And
1: it doesn't need irrigation this way. And when the grass comes back, so it sends an information of growth because, I mean, that's- grass wants to come thing. back, yeah. Yes, and so your crop benefits from that as well. It works as a fertilization of the field. So, I mean, we know already, I mean, it has proof enough that ecologically it works, it produces because the plants are beautiful. And Fernando with Ernest, they collected some information, some data about that. I mean, a soil being doesn't produce less in this system. But the problem is, as you said, it is complex. And uh, the machine industry is very, although it's big, it's very narrow, it's very limited. I mean, I've been with Ernest with some construction, uh, construction in Brazil, he's been searching for people, but it's hard, especially now. One thing that our friends are saying that it's been, even if you go there with money and say, okay, I I want to build this machine. But since the agribusiness in Brazil, the extractive, extractive I mean, front is blooming, I mean, all the machine companies, they're just not interested. They're making rivers, oceans of money. in the, Selling combined harvesters too. And, yes, those machines that are, I don't know how many tons, and that cost $1 million, why would they care? In, About in, a small in light... Small lightweight machines that still with the... I mean, with this not a lot of people that know how to use, I mean, it's, it's yeah, hard. Yeah.
0: So we need creativity from outside. And would you say, imagine again, we're on a stage in a big theater, a very nice one, let's say somewhere, La Scala or something like that. <laughs> and we're having this discussion and the room is filled with investors, with people, business people as well, people that are used to building things and they're bitten by the bug of, of regeneration. And they're, of course, their jaws are on the floor that this is possible with trees. What would you say, what would be their role? Is it to, where should they get involved to build things, to invest, to put money to work? Let's say in general, invest mm-hmm. maybe is a, is a wrong term here, but to to put money to work, where would you, without giving investment advice, this is only education people, please, <laughs> but where would you point them? Like, go and look at this or go and dig deeper here and go and learn there. What would you tell them, like, after they leave the theater, where should they go and and get to work. Okay, first I would say this
1: technological part because it's not that no one in this group is against technology. We we are we hope we had. I mean, we say okay, the future, the drones should do the pruning, be, I mean, robots should do the harvesting. We were just saying about I mean, how crazy it is the way we still pick up olives in the field. It's I mean, it's nonsense. I mean, <laughs> with all this technology we have available. We still, uh, so we're looking we for
0: enabling problems. technologies to enable farmers or sewers to add more complexity to the system. To add more
1: complexity, yes. But overall, I would say to those investors that there are so many nice people doing nice things. Don't be cheap. I mean, those guys, those people, and I know many of them, they use 80%, 90% of their income. They put into trying to find solutions for our real actual problems that we know exist. I mean, those guys, they feel very special. Sorry if I'm being aggressive a little bit. They feel very special because they risk 0.05% of their incomes that, I mean, come on, guys, you don't pay taxes already. I mean...
0: it wouldn't change anything. They wouldn't it eat wouldn't a sandwich a I mean, little
1: don't, don't be cheap. We are all in the same, we are all on the same boat. We are all facing the same problems. We yeah. have data enough, we have science enough showing that the way we are doing it has no future, it has no future for anyone. So, there so let's are... flip the
0: question. Hmm? What if you would be an investor tomorrow morning? I mean, you know, this question is coming. I prepared it, but you had a billion dollars to invest. <laughs> I don't know what it is in Brazilian, right? But Or a billion euros. Like, What would you focus on? Would it all go to mechanization? Would it
1: no, no, go to no.
0: education farms, uh, genetics, nurseries? I would try some stuff. <laughs> But yes,
1: mechanization would be one, like to try to solve once for all this this issue because the technology exists. And we just need to make people understand why we need them and then make the machines. And education would be for sure the How other would you do that? thing. I mean, Diane and I we worked with children, with school gardens in Mertula, and we felt it was the most revolutionary thing that we could have done because we had worked before in I mean in larger areas. But working with the school in the smallest areas we've ever worked with, we couldn't imagine how impactful it was. I mean, the impact just multiplied. So whereas older people, I mean, like as our generation and still, I mean, the current generation of farmers, it's, I mean, we have to unlearn a lot of things that we learn from school, especially from the ecological point of view. But the children, they get it so quick. You know and, and they will face the results, the consequences of what we are doing.
0: They will face it. so school so gardens getting school the younger, gardens. the better. What, what was your younger,
1: younger the better? We, we work with the uh, five, six, seven, and it, it is amazing. The response is amazing. They understand very quickly, they understand the importance of covering the soil, they understand the importance of combining plants and together, and they bring it home. They bring it home, and so they involve the family. And I think if we invest in a new generation, they will come up better than us. They will have, I'm not, I mean, I wouldn't say that I have the solution because I don't. It's a, It would be, I don't know, too, I would say egocentric of me saying that I don't, but I think we can prepare newer generations to find solutions where we can find, but we need to prepare them. We need to prepare them to be a better humanity than, than us.
0: And prepare the soil so they can, yes. they can plant. And if there's one thing you could change in agriculture and food, could be unlearning everything we knew until now, could be changing ag school, could be giving everybody better taste, or if you had a magic wand and you had the power to change one thing. So we, we took the fund away. You're no longer an investor. But what would you change? What would that... And you cannot ask for multiple. Some people do the trick on design. Like, yeah, I would do three things, not one. It's not Aladdin.
1: You know you send me this question, and I, <laughs> I'm still I still don't know I still don't know the answer. First thing that because comes up. If I could change one thing in agriculture, I think I would just forbid any monoculture of annuals. I mean at least that would change a little bit at least to try to promote some creativity around it's, uh, yeah, but it, it, it's just one drop in the ocean because I mm. think it's a very systemic.
0: But if tomorrow morning that would be forbidden, I think a lot, I mean, we have had people say forbid all chemical inputs from tomorrow morning. I mean, that would, like those things, it's only one thing. And of course, we're dealing with a systemic issue and holistic approach. So one thing is never enough or shouldn't even do that. But still, it's an interesting starting point. Like if from tomorrow on we're not allowed to grow monoculture yes. annuals anymore, some of the, the hectares on, on this planet are going to change. Like that's uh,
1: Yes, I mean, only annuals. We can add annuals. But, but not in monoculture. Mon- not in a monoculture, and always trying to combine with something else. So it would, people would look for making consortia of plants, of cooperation.
0: And what you said, become creative again. Right? Yes. And I mean, we've discussed a few points already, but what would be the one thing you would mention when I ask where, where are you contrarian? What do you believe to be true about regeneration and Regenag? that others don't. And this question definitely is inspired by John Kemp. Like if you go to conferences, you we're going, you know, you there are many things. I mean, the trees bring the water, etc. But if there's one thing that you would shout again, like say, we might have already mentioned it in the podcast before, what would you repeat or what would you shout out again if people could really think see things differently?
1: I think it is the inclusion of trees. Because people still are still reluctant to add them.
0: And will we overcome that by doing it, like showing? Is that the strongest thing we have? Because the data is there, the papers are there, the videos are there. We'll put Life in Syntropy, your documentary that won many awards in the show notes, obviously. And then we don't act. Like, do we need yeah. to see it to see if I, it's possible? I, I because here, like, it's olive trees, mostly dead, mostly desert around it. Like, it's really, it's a degraded ecosystem. Better than some other places in Spain and, and some other places in Europe, and obviously Tunisia, et cetera. So to imagine that that's possible, what do we need? Very fancy VR glasses to see, like this could be a walk, like or do we need to visit Brazil and Portugal and other places to see? Is that it? Like then we say, oh no, but that's possible there, but not here. Or we just should start in almost every biome to start showing what. Yeah. No. Coin.
1: This is, I guess, changing. Mm. This is a whole other podcast. Yeah. It is one of the most difficult things to do. I mean, agriculture is not the only way of doing things, but we did it 10,000 years ago, and we're kind of trapped in a way of doing farming. And actually the same way, we tend to blame uh, agrochemicals or, I mean, or industrialization, it just to speed up, sped up the degradation. But what is happening now, it happened before. It is a kind of a, of a sin of agricultural civilizations and uh, we change our social organization, we change political uh, because uh, of agriculture. Thing, and but agriculture still remains. Agriculture is the backbone of our organization as society. So changing that is very difficult. It's very difficult. So. We see, I mean, we had moments in Brazil, for example, when, let say, we were in the novella and we were working with large-scale people. We were in prime-time TV. We were having discussions with politicians. We were optimistic. Okay, okay, the change will come. The change will come. But then we see, no, it's not coming. It's not coming. So, I don't want to be pessimistic
0: here. Let's not add a pessimistic one. No, no,
1: let's not. But it's a marathon. It is a marathon. And that's why I insist we need to carry on education with the young, with the younger generation. Because it's not an easy change to do, to change the way we do things. As you say, extractive way of doing things. But... It will require the participation of the whole society, not only farmers. I mean farmers only farmers can do that. Yeah. We need everyone to be involved. Everyone to be involved.
0: And I think it was an interview with Ross Conser. I don't know if you share the same view. Like is this inevitable? Like the complexifying like nature wants this. That's very clear. If we leave it long enough in some places or with enough management because we have management because we have degraded it enough, it's not that but it will express this complexity naturally, whatever naturally means. If we won't do it, will there be another species? Like, will the ants take up that and say, okay, now we're going to do it? Like, will there be, like, because I remember from the conversation with Ross, and I will link it below as well, like, he was very comfortable. Like, we are the species to do this. And if we don't, I mean, this is the natural expression of life anyway, mm-hmm. to get complexified, to, to regenerate. And yeah, we can speed it up. That's our role. Do, do, you, do you feel comfortable or do you feel rushed at night? Like...
1: No, I think uh, all the other species are doing this, are trying to do this. We are the only one on the way. <laughs> and uh, yes, I agree. This is, And that's why also Ernest Named identified his method as syntropic because it is a tendency of life. I mean, entropic tends to simplify, complex to simple, and syntropic tends to use and residues to build complexity. And life does that. It's, it's so we need to join the rest. Bit, yes, we need to join the rest because life is doing this all the time. An ant is doing this when it's accumulating resources to one place. I mean, they're doing it. All the animals are trying to do that. So if we take ourselves out, if we remove ourselves from a place, taking our domesticated animals, any place improves. I mean, it it will complexify again. It's more obvious if you go to places not as degraded. But here, here is nice. It's still nice. I mean, the south of Italy is still okay. And uh, it will happen eventually. But we need to give it a chance. And again, we need to join the flow. And if we join the flow, we suspect that we also will find some purpose for our species. And we've never been so ill in terms of, you know, depression. We are kind of of a lost species in existence. So if we find a role and work with other living beings to make a better place for everyone, I think it will also heal us in a way because this planet was not supposed to have pain and suffering. It's not predicted to run on pain and suffering. And the way we are behaving, we are causing lots of pain and suffering. And it could have been different. The paradise is here, it's not somewhere else.
0: And we can harvest the apple. (laughs) Yes. As long as we plant more trees. I want to thank you so much, Filippo. We can talk for hours on this and we will in the future, I'm sure. Uh, But it was a good quote-unquote intro to the topic and I will link a lot of the things below. But thank you so much for your time and for your work and for allowing us to follow it along.
1: Oh, Thank you very much. It's been a a pleasure to be with you and and Antonella for these days here in Puglia, in Salento. And uh, I take the chance to congratulate you on your work. You are doing a very important work of building these bridges that are essential to make this I mean this universe to connect thanks for that
0: yeah I think as, as a lesson to all investors when in doubt you will see it in, in the video I'll share as well plant more trees are you <laughs> yes. still doubting plant more trees are you full of uncertainties plant even more trees yes that's
1: true thank you very much
0: You can find all the details on gumroad.com slash egg or in the description below. Thank you so much and see you at the next podcast.